launch. Ooh. We are about to launch our um, second installment for Parshas Balotcho. We got off to a wonderful start. This is another por Parsha or portion that begins with the idea of uplifting. All of Torah is up to uplift, but here we see it openly. Last week was Naso, which means lift up. <clears throat> Excuse me. Lift up the heads. Raise up the heads. Today, Bahalotcha, raising up the flames, raising up the souls. So let's jump right in. We have a little portion from yesterday that we didn't get to. So try to go through that. And today's just all about the Levites. And we've had this before, but the Torah is re-emphasizing this idea that the Levites are being taken in this for the service of God. And as we'll see in today's portion, this is all about redeeming the firstborn who represent the Israelites. So let's have a look at verse 5 here from yesterday's portion, which is where we left off. God spoke to Moses saying, Take the Levites from amidst the children of Israel. You shall purify them, cleanse them. And as we've saw, seen in Rashi in the past, wherever it says take in reference to a human being, it does not mean take him by the scruff of his neck and schlep him. No, it always means to use your words. And here Rashi says the same thing. Take the Levites. Doesn't mean by hand. It means take them with words. What kind of words? Move them, take them from where they are to where you want them to be with words. What kind of words? Ah, Ashrechem Ashrechem, pray you're you're so fortunate, O Levites, that you have merited to be Shamashim, to be attendants of the omnipresent. Inspire them. So kach take means, I would say, if you boil it down, it means inspire. And of course, the lesson there, how you get people to do things. You can go the forceful way, grab them by the lapel, or you can speak to them. But there's also there's a way of speaking that's also like grabbing the person by his arm. Torah is saying, don't use that method. Use the method that God is telling Moses to say, which is inspire them. Use words that inspire as opposed to words that yank forcefully. Zayin but by getting back to the main point, which is the, the, the Levites are going to have this great merit to be the shamashim. In the shul, you have what's called a shamish, a shamis. And that's a uh, Yiddishization of shamish. I think in certain parts of, of, the, of, of Russia, the Jews did not say a shin. They only said a, a, a they didn't say a shish sound. They only said a, a s sound. So shamish could easily become shamis. And that's a theory right off the top of my head. But in any case, the shamis is the guy who takes care of the synagogue. And that comes with the word shamash. We also have that with the menorah. The tallest one is called the shamash, the one that serves the other. So the Levites are the shamashim of the omnipresent. I got it. This is what you shall do to purify them. You shall spritz, sprinkle them 
with waters of the chatat. What is the chatat? That's the red heifer, the ashes of the red heifer. So you were purifying them from contamination with the dead. Now, why would the Levites need to be purified from contamination with the dead? That's a great question. Rashi will address that. This one's a bit surprising. You shall pass a blade over their entire flesh, meaning shave them absolutely from all here. They shall wash their garments. And they shall cleanse themselves. Rashi. Um, I have found in the words of Rabbi Moshe HaDarshan. Rabbi Moshe the Darshan, Rashi quotes quite often to give more of a homiletic, allegoric interpretations of the verses. And he's explaining, because the Levites are an atonement for the Bechorot, for the firstborn. And what was the problem with the firstborn? The firstborn is that they served idolatry. When did they serve idolatry? At the golden calf. That's why they were disqualified and the Levites had to replace them. And the idolatry is called uh, uh, sacrifices to the dead. And a Mitzorah. So now Rashi's explaining why they had to have their hair removed. Um, I didn't... I didn't um, I was mistaken, at least in this version of Rashi, doesn't have why they had to be purified from the... Oh, it does have it. I'm sorry. Let me go back for a second to this first Rashi, which says, shall efer hapara, the, the ashes of the first, of the of the calf, the red heifer, to may mesem shabem, because there were some contaminated to the dead. Therefore, they all had to be cleansed of it. And there's different interpretations there of who exactly were the ones who were contaminated with the dead. According to some opinions, it is the... Levites who took Nadav and Aviyu out, that was, that was their job to take Nadav and Aviyu out. Um, they had to be cleansed. Now, why would they have to have their hair removed? So we have the removal of hair. We have that with the Mitzorah, with the leper. And the leper is considered as if dead. And since they, the firstborn had come in contact with the idolatry, which is compared to death, Therefore, they are like lepers in a sense, and the Levites are, are seen as being in the shoes of the firstborn. So whatever would have been needed for the firstborn to become cleansed is needed for the Levites. It's an interesting concept because the Levites themselves did not worship the idols. The Levites themselves uh, were not lepers, so to speak. So why did they have to be purified as if they were a, a lepers? Because they were coming in the place of the Israelites the firstborn, they had to do what the, what the firstborn would have had to do. It's an interesting idea, not intuitive. Verse 8, what else do they have to do? They have to take a par ben bakar. They have to take a young bull and its meal offering and a second bull as a chatat. As we will see, this is unusual. It's unusual. We, we have these two basic types of sacrifices, the ola, which is a burnt offering, meaning everything goes up to heaven, everything is burnt, Kohanim don't take part of it, the owners don't take part of it. Then you have a chatat, chatat from the word chait, which means sin. And that comes for a sin offering. That one, the Kohanim, the priests typically do eat from, almost always. But here's an exception where we're going to see um, that, the, that this chatat is not eaten at all. But also, it is a young bull. It is not a goat. Typically, the chatat when it comes to uh, a sin offering, it will be a goat, not a young bull. Here we're seeing two interesting things. Number one, the chatat is a bull. 
Number two, this chatat is not going to be eaten at all. Let's look at Rashi. Rashi gives us what I already said, which I got from Rashi, is that it is eola. This is going to be an all-consuming offering. Um, as we'll see later in verse 12, one of them shall be an ola. But Rashi gives you a heads up that this is going to be an ola. And what is it? It's karban tzibor ba'avodazara. When the, the tzibor, when the congregation, when the community, when the people of Israel have, as a, as a community, not just as an individual, have served idols, they have to bring a young bull. So we see the echoes of the, the golden calf uh, are here very, clear, very clearly. Upar sheni. Now, why does it say upar sheni, a second bull? If you take out this word second, you shall take a second young bull. If you just take out the word second, it works just fine. And you shall take a young bull as a sin offering. We'll know that that is going to be a second one. No word is extra in the Torah. It comes to teach us something. It's a hint. What does it tell you? It's to tell you just as, in other words, by calling it the second young bull, it's comparing it to the first. It's telling you what you know about the first, apply it to the second. And what is that? Just as the first one, which is an ola, an all-consuming offering, is not eaten at all, goes all burnt up, so too this chatat is not going to be eaten. It says Rashi, this was a hora'at sha'ah. This was something that was very specific to that time. It was not something that would be uh, done ever again because typically, as I mentioned, it is a goat that is brought for a chatat uh, for the for idolatry along with the young bull for the Ola. And you shall bring the Levites before the Ola Moed, in front of the Ola Moed, and you shall gather all of the Jewish people. Um, why are the Jewish people involved here? Again, because the Levites are coming in place of the Jewish people. And it's going to be the job of the, Jew, of the Israelites to... Um, to rest their hands upon them. And as you see in Rashi, we're viewing the Levites almost as the offering of the Israelites. Like, you know, a person would bring an offering of an animal to the temple. The Israelites are bringing the Levites as their offering. They're being given up to the service of God. And what happens with an offering is that the, the person bringing the offering has to rest his hands upon the animal. Similarly, the Jews, the Israelites, are going to rest their hands upon the Levites, the Levites being their offering. Verse 10, you shall bring the Levites close before God and the Jewish people shall rest their hands upon the Levites. And now we have something quite interesting. Talked uh, yesterday about Aaron's great height, that he didn't need the ladder to get to the top of the menorah. He was also very strong. How do we know that? Because verse 11 says that Aaron is going to have to wave the Levites, each one, one at a time before God. This is, again, an interesting concept. And they will be lavod at avodat Hashem. They may serve in the Lord's service. Now Rashi will tell us that this also has to do with the leper. This has to do with the leper, uh, because we find that the leper brings a guilt offering. And again, when you use leper, we're not typically leper. We're talking about the tzarat leprosy, and this offering, the asham, the guilt offering of the leper requires waving of the animal while the animal is alive. Interesting concept. A lot of interesting concepts today. And in this Parsha, Rashi tells us there are three wavings that are mentioned. So there's one right here, Tunufal of Hashem, waving before the Lord. If you look in 
Verse 13, and you shall wave them to Nufala Hashem, a waving before the Lord. Where's the third one? The third one is in today's portion, which I have to click on the next page for, but you have to trust me that there is one there. And the difference between them is that in these two that I showed you, waving before the Lord, before the Lord is mentioned in both of these cases that we see on this page. If I turn to the next page, you'll see a waving that does not include the words before the Lord. It just says a waving. That leads us, gives us the background to what Rashi says over here, which is the three wavings that are mentioned in this Parsha. The first one is for the family of Kahat. As we learned last week, there were three families in the tribe of Levi, the Kihotites, the Gershonites, and the Merarites. Kahas, Gershon, Amarari. So the first waving that the verse is referring to is the children of Kahas. And that's why it says they will serve the service of God. Why? Because there, as we learned last week, they carried the Holy of Holies, the Ark. And they also call, carried the Shulchan. So these items are the Holy of Holies. The second one is the children of Gershon. What did the Gershonites carry? They carried the... Um, the coverings that went on top of the Mishkan. And therefore, it says of them a waving before God because their service of what they carried, carrying those uh, curtains that went on top of the, of the ark, were seen in the Holy of Holies. So when they covered the, the Holy of Holies with those curtains, those things were, were they, they were covering the entire Mishkan, the entire tabernacle, but they were, they were, they were, um, um, they they saw, the curtains saw, they were on top of the Holy of Holies. So therefore, it also called a waving before God. The third one, which we'll see in today's, is Levnei Marari. That was the third family, the family of Marie, who carried the outer walls of the Mishkan. And that is considered a lesser degree of closeness to the Holy. There's a question here. Uh, why I mean, it would seem that the, the Merari, the Merarites are also carrying something that sees the Holy of Holies because they're carrying the beams that surrounded the Holy of Holies as well as the rest of the Mishkan. So why, are, if, the, if the idea is that the Uriot, um, the, the, the curtains that covered the Mishkan saw the Holy of Holies, the, the beams that the Merarites carried also saw the Holy of Holies. That's a great question, and I forgot the answer. Verse 12, the Levites shall lean their hands upon the heads of the bulls, and one of them shall be a chatat, and one of them shall be an olah, as we saw before, to atone for the Levites. And you shall place the Levites in front of Aaron and in front of his children, and you shall wave them a waving before God, as we saw, this is the waving of the Gershonites. And you shall separate the Levites from among the Jewish people, and the Levites shall be for me. Stop the shear and anybody have a comment or a question to share with us this morning? Just a clarification. Um, I was thinking, uh, so the Levites did not worship the golden calf. So they as a people or they as a, as a tribe are not, have not committed that sin. However, they are now taking on chores that 
the firstborn we're going to do for across all of the tribes. Is that an accurate, am I accurate? Right. On behalf. Yes. On behalf of them. Yeah. And so is that why they're now having to be cleansed because they were cleansed, right? And you mentioned it, but I didn't understand. So there are some Levites that don't have to go to that, but the ones that represent the other tribes have to go through that or they all have to go through that as if they're all representing or on behalf. I, I don't. Yeah, they all, they all, as we learned in Nassau, or maybe it was by Midbar, I think by Midbar, there were 22,273, if I remember correctly, um, firstborn. That's correct. And there was 22,000 uh, Levites or plus change, but some of those Levites were, were firstborn. Um, so it's a, actually, you made me think that since some of the first, some of the Levites were first born and were representing themselves and not as replacements for the first born of the Israelites, if you recall the 273, um, surplus, those were redeemed with money. So they weren't represented by the Levites. You could say, well, why, why would those Levites need to be purified? The first born of the Levites maybe shouldn't need to be purified because they're not representing the Israelites. They're representing themselves as firstborn. But I think that my instinct is to say that everybody got um, yeah. purified. Well, they're going before they're going before Hashem. So I guess there's, you know, purification even. Right. But who's to say which which uh, Bechor, right, is um, actually they did. They did a lottery and they did figure out the ones who are going to be representing the Bechor. I still would think that everybody went through the same process. Okay. And yes, so the, the firstborn are representing the Israelites. And now the Levites are representing the firstborn. So in, in, in a sense, the Levites are representing the, the Jewish people. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Hello. I have a question. Uh, looks like for me, by laying the hand for the hand for something, at this day, they pass not their guilt, you know, whatever. The next, you know, uh, of, uh, you know they, later on they pass to the whole But why Hashem called all the assembly of Israel to come there to do it? Because it's only the, you know, only the Bakors, you know, the firstborn is supposed to be, you know, transferred their guilt to. Realize, not the other guys, you know, because they definitely they replace the firstborn. It's not all true. It's a great point that you know why, why are all of the Israelites involved? Since this is, issue is really of the firstborn, I think that the the firstborn represent the rest of the people. Okay. Right. So thank you for that question. I'll just conclude with a. Um, an insight going back to yesterday's Torah portion. So we had three interpretations of this idea that Aharon did not deviate from what God had commanded him, Moses had commanded him. And then we had our three interpretations that he he didn't shy away from doing the quote-unquote dirty work of cleaning out the menorah, even though he could have delegated that. He did not, um, you know, take a break. Even though his two sons had died, he continued to do the service. He didn't deviate in that sense, that was a Chazam Sofer. And the third interpretation from the Sfas Emes, which is, it's talking about um, the, f the future. You know, not only did he do it with his full excitement and passion, 
the first couple of times he did it or the beginning of his service, but he continued every day that he, that he did it. He did it the same way. He didn't change. He had the same excitement. Here is a fourth interpretation of that. There's many, many interpretations. A fourth interpretation is that um, as we saw with Nadav and Aviyu, right? Nadav and Aviyu, they got carried away with the excitement. And um, this is a tension that you have in religious worship, which is following the rules versus getting excited and getting carried away. And when we're talking about lighting up the menorah, right? We're talking about getting all lit up and the seven branches. We, yesterday we talked about that in the sense of the seven types of Jews, but there's also the seven attributes within ourselves. In other words, we're not just doing what we're told in a, in a servant type of way, you know, salute. Yes, sir, I'll do that. We're talking about being all fired up about it. We're talking about getting excited. You know, there's a famous uh, kind of muscle for that, a metaphor for that is the, is the guy who is, um, you know, he's saying the Shema, which is like, you know, you're giving up your life for God, but he's, he's looking at his stopwatch, seeing how long he meditate on that or blowing the shofar, which is like calling the essence of the soul and looking at the stopwatch. All right, how long is it going to be? And so forth. It seems to be a contradiction. And what, what the Torah is saying here, that even though Aaron is engaged in this very, very heavy, beautiful, ecstatic, euphoric uh, service of lighting the menorah, lo shina. he didn't say, well, who cares about the details that it's got to be this way or that way? I mean, that's for the, you know, the simple folk. They've got to follow the rules. But me, I'm flying high with the angels. It doesn't really matter if I do it like this or like that. Says the Torah, no, even though he was in that euphoric state, Loshina, he was able to maintain the discipline and the humility to do it as God had said. So thank you all for joining us. This has been fantastic. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow, same time, same place. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day tonight, 745. 7.45, Mincha. Thanks for reminding me. Yes, sir. Have a wonderful day. You too, Sean. Talk to you later. Thank you. You too.